It was six years ago this past week that Tim and I were in China meeting our daughter Lila for the first time. And so this time of year always has kind of a a nostalgia, special place in my heart for sure. Uh, We were very aware that day that while it was one of the happiest days, one of the most joy-filled days of our lives, it was to be and was one of the most disorienting and and confusing and, and traumatic, really, days of her life because she was, was leaving the arms of a foster family that was all she knew of home. And she was coming into the arms of, of these two strangers to her who she had only ever seen via video, singing her songs and reading their books. And so in that moment, we uh, did not share a language. We did not share culture. Lila was just beginning to speak some Mandarin, so she knew a couple words. She would say gaga when she saw a picture of Russell, because in Mandarin that means big brother. She would, uh, you know, point to pictures of Tim and say baba, because that means dad in Mandarin. So we, uh, we did not have language in common at that morning, we, or at, at that moment. We didn't have culture yet in common in that moment. And so we needed that universal language of love. We needed to find those ways to bond and to connect that transcend language and culture. We needed smiles and hugs. We needed little pieces of cheese, which she loved. (laughs) We needed food. And today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day when we remember that God poured out the Holy Spirit in such a way that his power and his presence transcended culture, transcended language. Today's a day when we think about what does it mean to live filled with the Holy Spirit? Today's a day when we ask, what does it mean to be filled with the spirit of love, to be filled with the spirit of God? And from this passage that Tim just read from Acts 2, what we see is that being filled with the Spirit means a few things. First of all, it means an outside power. It also means an inner wonder. And then it means a universal message for everybody. So that's kind of the map. First, outside power. So the passage says, on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered. And they were gathered already because Pentecost existed prior to this moment in history. It was 50 days after Passover when the Jews would gather and they would celebrate the first feasts of the harvest. So they were already gathered. Pentecost already existed. But it was on this day when they were gathered, when the scriptures say, suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind. Suddenly, where? From heaven. So we notice that this power came from heaven. In other words, it didn't come from within them. It wasn't something that they manufactured or generated or achieved or worked really hard and saw. This power, this filling of God's Holy Spirit came from heaven. It was an outside power. And the reason this is a really important place to start is because as human beings, right, we have problems. We all have problems. And then 
as humans, we're seeking solutions to those problems. And there's a lot of different ways we can go about that. A lot of times, right, in our, in our world, we will hear people talk about, like, well, your problems are other people. If you just didn't have those in-laws, if you didn't have, just didn't have to work with that person, if this external, outside problem didn't exist, you'd be okay. And the way to solve that problem, everything you need to solve that problem, our world would say, it lies within you, right? Like, we hear this a lot. Like, you have the power within you. But what we see on the day of Pentecost, what the Bible teaches, in a way, is almost like the exact opposite of that. Are you tracking with that? So, like, the scriptures would say we have a problem called sin. And the solution is actually not something we manufacture. It's not something we generate. We don't just, like, dig deep within ourselves and there you go. We have the solution to our shame, to our hiding, to sin, and to all the ramifications of sin in this broken world. The day of Pentecost reminds us it's an outside power. It's a power that comes from heaven. It's a power that's given. And so when it's given, that means like it's only received. It's not achieved through climbing. It's, it's received. It's received as a gift. That's the first thing we see about what it means to be filled with the spirit. It's this outside power like you have to surrender to it because it's being given as a gift. Now, a lot of people uh, through the years here at church, as we've talked about surrender, I've heard from many of you, like, I have trouble with that word surrender. I've had this conversation with, with many of you. It's, it's kind of a troublesome word for us, surrender. Like, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to surrender to what? What in the world are we talking about when we talk about surrendering to an outside power, to the power of heaven? What does that really look like? And, you know, one just little analogy or picture when we think about this that might be helpful for some is kind of this picture of a sailboat or a sailor, someone who's sailing. Because you could sort of ask the question, when you are sailing, if you've ever done it, been on a sailboat, is it that you have an experience of the wind or is it a habit that you cultivate to sort of catch that wind? And in a way, you really can say both. And it's similar with being filled with the wind of God's Holy Spirit. Like, is surrendering to God an experience that just happens to you? Or is it a habit and a practice that you cultivate? Well, really both. Because catching the wind on a sailboat is for sure an experience. Tim and I actually had this little sailboat on Lake Dillon for like four years. We bought off Craigslist and we sold on Craigslist. And we don't know how to sail. So... <laughs> We just had it in the slip, and we would go and sleep overnight on the boat, or I would prepare sermons on the boat. People would be like, do you sail? No, we don't know how to sail. But I do remember we took it out. And there is, uh, it I mean, kind of takes your breath away, right? When you experience the power of the wind all of a sudden just, whoosh, like, taking you. I mean, no sailor would say we generated that movement by our own power. Right? It is the power of the wind that is moving the boat. 
but my brother-in-law, or my sister's fiance, I should say, out on the East Coast, he is a sailor. Like, he knows what it means to cultivate the habits of catching that wind, right? He knows that the wind could be blowing, but unless you, I think, like, lift the jib and hoist the mast and do those sailing terms, like, unless you do those things, you're actually not going to catch it. You're going to miss it. Like, the wind can be blowing, but there's some practices, there's some habit, there's actually some skill involved. So sailing, similar to, like, surrendering to God, similar to being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's both this art of attentiveness and this response to the external power of God coming from heaven into our lives. So we rely totally, entirely on the external power to get us anywhere, but we also learn to respond attentively to what the wind is doing, to cultivate an awareness, to develop skills and habits. So, you know, later in the Bible, uh, Paul of Tarsus wrote a lot of the scriptures. He talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. And, and he says these words, and he, he talks in this little passage about being filled with the Spirit with like three things we can do to participate in or ways we can practice or skills we can develop. And they're so simple, right? They're so simple. See if you can catch them. Ephesians says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And we noticed in Acts, right, like those kind of sometimes look similar, right? I think they're drunk on wine. It's only, wait, no, no, it's only nine in the morning. Why is that? Why are these, these comparisons of being drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit? It's like, in a sense, like when you get drunk, you get stupid, right? <laughs> because you have a part of yourself that is not focused on, like, the reality or the troubles of that moment. And Scripture is saying in a way, you don't get stupid, but you get, like, very smart because your, your focus is not on this trouble and this reality only, right? You see beyond this. And so there is a joy, and there is a freedom, and there is uh, there's a similarness. So don't get drunk on wine. Leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. And then listen to these practices. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing. Make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord. I mean, it's so interesting because it's like, speak to one another words of life. How simple. When you talk, you want to be filled with the Spirit. Don't make all your conversation just about debate. Don't make all your conversation about all the, like, speak words of life to one another. It's one way we cultivate or we, like, put up the sail. And then another one, Sing. I mean, when we gather and worship every Sunday and we sing and we make music, it's not just like a show so you can be entertained by how awesome Daniel and everybody else sounds. It's not about that, right? Worship is singing, it's participating in this because this is like the roadmap. These are the practices, habits of people who are filled with love, filled with God's spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the third one, always giving thanks. So speak words of life. Sing, give thanks. These are the practices of surrender. This is how we respond attentively to what the Spirit is doing in and through us. It's like how we pay attention. 
of being filled with the Spirit, it is, it's attuning ourselves to this outside power. But then secondly, it's also, uh, it's also this inner wonder. So the passage says that on that day of Pentecost, they saw tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. They saw tongues of fire that came and rested on each of them. Now, here's what's super interesting. When we look at the Hebrew scriptures, like the Old Testament part of the Bible, when God's presence shows up, it is often as a fire. You've got the, the flaming torch, the burning bush. You've got the pillar of fire. Okay, these Old Testament examples of God's Holy Spirit showing up in fire, with fire. It's this very special presence, this glory of God presence seen in fire. Now, what's so cool is on this day of Pentecost, every believer becomes a burning bush. Remember, Moses encountered God in the burning bush. Well, now every believer becomes a burning bush. Those tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. Now, if you fast forward to the New Testament and think of how does the New Testament talk about God's Holy Spirit or filling of the Spirit, it seems like there is this one thread that goes through all of the New Testament talking about filling of the Spirit. So Jesus, there's the descent of the dove, right? Jesus at his baptism hears these words from heaven. You are my beloved son. In you I am well and then in Romans 8.16, we read that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So Jesus hears this voice, you're my beloved child. Romans says the Spirit is going to bear witness with your spirit and my spirit that we are children of God. And then later in Galatians, we read that like the Spirit, what does it do within you? It cries out, Abba, Father. So it seems that there's this thread. It seems like the job of the Spirit is to come into your life and mine and tell you of God's love for you, his delight in you, to reassure you of the fact that you are his beloved child. It's the inner wonder. It's the experience of knowing in your body that you are God's child precious in his sight. Those are, I think, inner wonder. It's those moments in life where you say, you know what? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because what is actually going on inside of me is I know you are with me even here. Inner wonder is those moments where like the bottom is falling out or everything is chaotic or nothing makes sense. But somehow, like right there in all that chaos and external craziness, you're able to say that I know I am in God's love and care even here. That's the experience of inner wonder that Scripture is talking about. I think uh, probably one of the most like enduring pictures of being filled with the Spirit and this experience of inner wonder is a 17th century preacher, uh, Thomas Goodwin. He, he talked about this, being filled with the Spirit like this. He said, I was just watching, he said, a father walk down the sidewalk with his son. 
and they were walking hand in hand and talking. And then all of a sudden the father picked up the son and gave him a big hug and whispered in his ear, I love you so. And the little boy wrapped his arms around his dad and said, I love you, dad. And so Goodwin just says in watching that, like, and then they go back to walking hand in hand down the sidewalk. And he says, did anything change from walking hand in hand to that warm embrace? Legally, no. Father and son relationship is the same, really, in both moments. But experientially, in their bodies, there was that, that knowing, that inner wonder, that connection, that experiential healing of the relationship, the status that was already present before that moment. I think that's such a great example of what we're talking about. So we've got this realization on the day of Pentecost, right? It's this, this outside power we've got to surrender to, but also cultivate an attuneness to. And then we see there's this inner wonder that the tongues of fire came and rested on each of them, that every single believer is now a burning bush. And then the last thing is Pentecost is showing us that the gospel, that the love of God, that this, this moment is a universal message because when the gospel was first preached to the world, it was preached on this day in every language. Do you realize the significance of this? This is amazing. Like by a deliberate miracle, God made sure that there was no language, no culture that would have precedence over another in the kingdom of heaven. No culture is going to have pride of place in the kingdom of God. There's no language or culture where everybody can say, well, actually, this is the real way. Actually, this is the original way. Like everything else is secondary to this language, this culture. No. On the day of Pentecost, it's all done at once. And that really it is a reminder to everyone who follows God in the way of Jesus that the gospel of this kingdom is not owned by any language or by any culture. It's not owned by America. It's not owned by the West. It's not owned by anybody. It's, it's very interesting. I, I hope this resonates with you. It resonated with me, but Laman Same, uh, he was an African professor of missions at Yale Divinity School. He's written some incredible books about um, the like he's written a lot about world Christianity, and also he was a Muslim, so he's written a lot about Islam and Christianity, just some very fascinating books about world missions, and not just looking at Christianity in this country, but Christianity and its spread around the globe. Um, so professor of missions at Yale Divinity School, died a few years ago, but uh, one of his books is called Whose Religion is Christianity?, and he points out some interesting things. Uh, you know, it's not a critique of, of Islam. He's just talking about his experiences and what he knows of uh, these religious traditions. But he says, uh, being a Muslim for many years, he says that Muslims will tell you that the Quran cannot be translated. And I actually, like, I read this and I was like, huh? Like you, you might be like, wait a minute, I have seen the Quran translated into English, or I have even read the Quran tra translated. Like, what is he talking about? And um, he points this out. I actually went on just the Quran.com, and sure enough, it was like right there. He said, when you, um, whenever you open a translation of the Quran that's not in Arabic, right, it's translated into another language, 
there will always be a caveat, like on the first page, right away in the preface, that says, this is an explanation of the Quran. This is an explanation of these words. And why is it that this Laman Same says this is an important distinction? He says, because for Muslims, as far as Muslims are concerned, God speaks Arabic. Isn't that fascinating? So we could talk about that more later if you, uh, you know, I'm just kind of passing on to you what I learned from him because this is not, you know, my lane. But I thought it was very interesting. He said all the original revelation was in Arabic. All the original communication came in Arabic. And so if you want to hear from God, you really have to hear from God in Arabic. And all the other translations of God's word are an explanation of God's word. Now, here's what he points out just in a comparative religion study, right? I mean, he a, was a professor. And he says Christianity is different because of Pentecost. So if you have a Mandarin translation of the scriptures, you have the scriptures in Christian theology. If you have a translation in African language, you have the word of God in this. Uh, so, so do you see the distinction that he's making? It's very interesting to read about this. He said, globally, there's not a worldwide culture for followers of God in the way of Jesus. So he says, if you look at the whole globe and the spread of followers of God in the way of Jesus all around the world, he says there is, it is the most diverse religion. It's very fascinating. Most culturally diverse on the face of the earth. He says it takes on radically different forms depending on where it is because of Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, there was no one language. There is no one culture that's like the right culture. And that means that Christianity, the gospel, that the, the words of Jesus and that the Holy Spirit comes into every culture and honors every culture and renews every culture, has something to say to every culture. It means if you are Chinese and you come to faith in Christ, in a sense you're, you're both lifted out of your culture and you stay in your culture. If you're African and you come to faith in Christ, you're, you're lifted out of your culture to some degree, but you remain in your culture with the job of renewing your culture. If you're an American and you start to follow God in the way of Jesus, you will be lifted out of your culture to some extent because every culture is judged by the gospel. Every culture is honored by the spirit of God. Every culture needs to be renewed by the gospel. And so Jesus comes in and fills you wherever you are and gives you over time as you grow in God's Holy Spirit and in the spirit of God's love, gives you eyes to see the things about your culture that are inconsistent with the kingdom of heaven. You begin to see like, oh, the imbalances in my culture 
oh, we have these bad substitutes or these idols in our culture. So the more you live into the kingdom of heaven, the more that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more you're given eyes to see where your culture needs to be renewed. But you're not removed from it, right? You're, you're taken out of it to a certain degree to live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, but, but you're also left in it to renew it. So you are an African Christian, you're a Chinese Christian, you're a Korean Christian, you're a Nepali Christian, you're still in your culture. God does lead you there. But it, he just is, I thought it was fascinating how he just talked about the diversity that begins because of Pentecost. That God refused to let one culture or one language be the predominant one in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, he, he actually goes into this whole like side thing about how this even applies to secularism. And he grew up in Gambia, so he's African uh, himself. But he says that um, when you think about secularism, he gives this example where he says uh, one of the things that it means to be African is to believe in the spirit world. He says one of the core pieces of having grown up in Africa was that the spirit world is alive. There are good spirits and there are evil spirits. But if a person, he says, who's raised in Africa comes to get a Western education, they're studying at Harvard or Yale or Princeton or whatever, he says secularism will, will sort of um, be all about diversity in one respect and completely squash it in the other sense. It was, it was kind of interesting. He just said uh, that on one hand, it's like, oh, we love that, you know, you're from Africa. We love your food. We love your clothes. We love your music. Oh, but there's no such thing as miracles. There's no such thing as good spirits and evil spirits. Because everything can be given a scientific explanation. And you think about the task of a missionary, right? The task of a missionary is to come into any culture and to keep the main thing the main thing. To major in the majors. Like the task of a missionary is to come in kind of like Paul did when he was establishing all those churches. And he said, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. Like that's the main thing. And actually, the scriptures talk a lot about spirits and the spirit world. And so he was saying, you know, on one hand, it's like the value of diversity. On the other hand, this core part of being African was like kind of squashed or, or whatever. I thought that was fascinating. He says the gospel of Christ um, is, is not going to do that, is not going to steamroller over a culture. He said, globally speaking, Christianity helped Africans become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans, globally. The gospel comes in, it renews you as an African and leaves you as an African. And it doesn't make you into something else. So for, for me, right, I'm a white American, but as a follower of Christ, I've been pulled out of my white Americanness at the same time, I, am, I still am what I am. I'm left in this culture to live in it 
as a witness to another kingdom. God loves all the various cultures. He honors them. He challenges them. He renews them. It's what his spirit does on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost is teaching us that those who are filled with the spirit of God, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they have this universal message, and it is cross-cultural. Like, there's this missionary spirit to it. Most likely, um, you don't have to go very far to cross cultures. I think in the past, you think about a missionary spirit, and you think like, oh, yes, those are the people getting on the slow boat and saying goodbye to their family until I see you in heaven. And I just think increasingly in a globalized world, you probably, I know I do, you probably have some people who are pretty close in your life who are just speaking a different language than you right now, thinking about things differently than you're thinking about them, seeing the world through a different set of lenses. So here's my question for us in any cross-cultural exchange, what does it look like to be filled with the spirit of God there in that environment, in those relationships? What does it look like to be filled with God's Holy Spirit there? Because cultures have differences. Cultures have differences in emotional expressiveness. Cultures have different ways of making decisions, different ideas about your relationship, like the relationship of self with the whole, with you. Cultures have different thoughts about how much freedom an individual should have. Different cultures have different understandings of all these things, different understandings about how to argue, how to reason. And the gospel does not come in and just steamroll all of those differences. And therefore, to be filled with the Spirit is to, like, we must never say our version of Christianity is the real Christianity. On Pentecost, God didn't let the gospel go out through just one language and one culture. So we see the crowd gathered in Acts 2, it says, and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each, like everybody in their own tongues. So we need to remember that the culture created right here at Platte Park Church has developed and is not the real way, right? It's not like the superior way. We need to seek, as we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, to be as diverse as possible, as diverse as we can be, because that's what the Spirit of God does. That is what the Spirit of God wants. You know, when the Holy Spirit filled the disciples on the day of Pentecost, I, uh, I don't think, we don't have any indication that they magically now spoke foreign languages all the time. It wasn't like miraculously they became fluent in a bunch of languages. They were in that moment able to speak in such a way that anyone gathered, like others gathered, could hear. But when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I think 
what the scriptures want us to know is they were filled with that universal language of love. They were filled with that ability to connect beyond all those boundaries that would normally divide. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It allowed them to enter into communion with people who they might have thought as, they might have thought of each other as aliens or the other. They might have even thought of some of each other as a threat. But the Spirit of God filled them and gave them the ability to commune together. And that is what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit unites us in an unusual way so that the world would know the love of God, the power and the very presence of God. And the thing is, is I think the more a church lifts up the Holy Spirit, the more a community of faith like ours holds a, I want to say like strong theology of the Spirit of God, the more diverse it is because that's what the Spirit does, because that's what the Spirit wants, because that's what we see on that day of Pentecost. When we surrender to the Spirit, we're, we're submitting to that outside power. I didn't manufacture it. It's an outside power like the wind. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's an inner wonder. It manifests then itself in this, this universal message, this language of love that cuts through boundaries that normally divide. It creates a church that transcends race and class and politics and all the other dividing markers because it's a church following the risen Lord, practicing the resurrection and attuning itself to the winds of God's Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours and yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, 